Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, Portico. Wow, you are alive this morning. If you're not awake, you didn't meet Dwayne. I'm telling you, that guy is just wired up and ready to fly, isn't he? One day we're just going to like lose him through the roof. We'll be going like, where did he go? So he doesn't need to be swept away. He's got enough energy to take us all with him. But we love it. Let's give a big hand to our worship team and our band. They work hard. I want to welcome those of you that are online for joining us today. It's so good. I don't know if you know this, but on an average week, we have about 260, 65 guests signing in and watching our service with us, and that's our online campus. And so we welcome you today. It's great to have you here. Take your Bibles out. We're in a series on Moses, and we're going to go to Exodus chapter 2. You can download our app. You can take notes on the app, or if you forgot your Bible, now we encourage you, bring your Bibles with you. But if you forgot it, out in the resource center in the middle of our foyer, there's a Bible available. You can borrow that, leave it on the chair. We'll take care of it. And then the next week, just bring yours with you. We would encourage you to do that. So get ready for Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to set that up. All right. You ready? Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're headed. And we're in a series. It's called Moses Unscripted. Now, I have to tell you, I've been looking forward to doing this series. When I met with Pastor Joe, I said, we're going to be doing a series on Moses, and we're going to take it down. We're going to look at the big long run on this one. Because so often when we do series on Moses, it's this larger-than-life persona. You know, it's the guy who hits the Hollywood scene, the guy who gets all the billings. It's the guy that the Pharisees and the teachers refer to. It's the big name that gets thrown out with Jesus. And so what happens, I don't know about in your world, but what happens in my world, I often look at the life of Moses and I go, I just can't compare to this. How do you compete with someone who has all of the accolades and all of the strength and all of the history? Where do I draw life from in this story? And as I was looking at the series, and we started to talk about this whole idea of talking about the life of Moses, what I wanted to do was go into what we called Moses Unscripted. Now, if you missed last week, go online, you can get to our media resource, listen to the message, great introductory message. But here's what I want to do. I want to look at Moses before the titles. I want to look at Moses before the billboards. I want to look at Moses before the Pharisees and the teachers of the law trumped his name up in front of Jesus. I want to look at the man who got mad at people. You ever get mad at your family? Okay, now we're in church. You ever get mad at them? Yeah, there was a time in his life where he goes, God, these are your people. And God goes, no, they're not. They're your people. So sometimes God gets mad at us, I think. So there's this rawness in his humanity, and we see him in his angered state, and we see him in his frightened state, we see him in his power leadership state. And then we see him as an awkward servant, and he's this reluctant leader. And so there's all of these elements. And here's what I've come to realize, that in the purity of his humanity, there is both strength and there is weakness, as there is in ours. And so as we bring these two elements together, my desire is that you're going to discover there are principles to believe in that he's going to lead us through. And then there are principles that we can live by. That's why it's called Moses Unscripted. Nobody 
Nobody. It doesn't matter if you've, you're just sort of seeking and you're curious or if you've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years. Nobody can count themselves out on this series because it's going to affect all of us. And I really believe that. And so my goal today is make sure that you have some principles that you're going to be able to dive in and live by. Let me set it up. We're going to read out of Exodus chapter 2, and I want to give you a little bit of a background here. So we set up the history of Moses, but for those of you that maybe are not aware, under the edict of Pharaoh, the supreme ruler and god of Egypt, he had given instructions because of his disfavor towards the Hebrews that every male child born was to be murdered. And under that edict, it would be his own daughter that would rescue uh, Moses from the Nile River and raise him within the place of privilege, the courts of Pharaoh. Rather ironic, but interesting how God works. And so for 40 years of his life, Moses is raised in the privilege of the palace. He grows up as an Egyptian. He learns the ways. He learns the cultures. He understands the power premise. He has access to Pharaoh's court. He moves through the land in the status that is unparalleled. But about the age of 40, he has an identity crisis. How many are 40 or over? Ooh, reluctant participants. All of you that are 62 going, oh, no, 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 no. Right around the age of 40, I'm going to extrapolate, he has an identity crisis. He goes, I know, I know I'm a Hebrew. I can't get away from that, but I've lived my life as an Egyptian, and he begins to wrestle. You know, we go through times in our lives where we wrestle with our identity. We struggle with our career choice, our educational path. We struggle with our future. We're not sure where we're headed, so we go through these times of curiosity and seeking and testing, and we change jobs. And in the middle of this, we find Moses going, he's age 40, everything is going along perfectly. He didn't have to mess around. He was like in line to the throne. Why would you give that away? But about the age of 40, the Bible says that he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew servant. He goes, this is intolerable. That's one of my people, a fellow Hebrew. So he steps in and he looks left, he looks right, he makes sure the coast is clear. Not only does he intervene and rescue the Hebrew, he kills the Egyptian and he buries them in the sand. Certainly I've garnered favor with my own people. I will be able to move in and amongst my people and find that they will accept me. The next day, two Hebrews are fighting. They're arguing, intensifying. He steps into the middle of it. He challenges the aggressor, no doubt stepping in. Why would you, a Hebrew, fight with a Hebrew? And the aggressor turns and confronts him with the public awareness of his act of murder. What are you going to do? Are you going to murder me too? And now we discover something that Pharaoh has been informed of the murder and Moses must flee for his life and he chooses that he will flee to the land of Midian. Anybody know where Midian is? First service crowd. All right. One person. That was my wife. She was here earlier. Thank you. (laughs) The land of Midian. Not a place that we would chart for our next vacation. Cruise ships don't go there. Airplanes reluctantly land there. And people land up there by mistake. So let's go there. Here on the maps on the screen, you can see this. This is a picture of what it would look like today. On the extreme left, you see Egypt. On the extreme right, you see Saudi Arabia. Drop down, you're going to land up somewhere in ancient land of Midian. That doesn't mean much. Let's put a red line. Let's Google it. Let's put a trip ticket on the map. Here's where Moses, when he fled... If you guys can give me the red line, that'd be awesome. Here's when he fled. This is roughly where he goes. Don't hold me to this. Don't start Googling your map questing and stuff. Were that really where he went? This is the approximation of where he went to. Interesting, the, the distance is approximately somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000 kilometers, depending on which route you take. Did you know the average person can travel 20 to 25 kilometers per day? 
the average person. That means if you're in good shape and you know decent, you can walk 20 to 25 kilometers per day. Some of you are going, man, I barely made it out of church parking lots. But if you needed to, you could walk 20 to 25 kilometers today. If you took that, extrapolated over the distance, that means this trek was going to take him somewhere between 80 to 90 days. That's almost three months that this man would be running for his life. He would escape to Midian. Now, again, we look at a map like this and we go, well, what does that mean for me today? Is there a parallel? I could understand it. Yeah, let's go to Canada for a moment. Here's a picture of Canada. And you can see, everybody see the Great Lakes? You can see Lake Erie, Lake Ontario. You find Toronto. We're good. Tracking with me? If you look way over to the left, there's the lost barren land in Canada. It's called Winnipeg. I don't know why anybody would go to Winnipeg. If you're from Winnipeg, I apologize. And if you're online, please continue to donate. But uh, <laughs> let's put it with a red line so we can trip ticket. Here's what it would look like if we were to do the trek, leaving Mississauga, making our way to Winnipeg. Wow. Three months on foot. Well, you'd be with a moose somewhere up in the north part there. Three months of your life you would spend that if you can average the 20 to 25 kilometers per day. So Moses is thrust into a circumstance that he never anticipated he would be living. Now remember, don't miss this. He didn't have Midian on his career trajectory. This wasn't a destination for him. He wasn't planning to spend time in Midian. He was in Egypt. He was in Cairo. He was living in the land that was abundant where the nations of the world came and gave honor to the Pharaoh, the ruler, the supreme ruler. And in two days' time, his life gets so twisted around that he's now fleeing for his life and he's wandering through wilderness, desolate, barren, and all alone. All alone. When he arrives in Midian, there are only eight verses of Scripture. If you've read through the Bible, there are eight verses of Scripture that will give us the frame of reference of what takes place. And here's what you need to catch. For the next 40 years, same length of time as he's already lived, for the next 40 years, Midian is going to be home. So let's read about it so we can follow it together. Exodus chapter 2, look down at verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the trough to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and he came to their rescue and he watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us, and he watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. There is so much in eight verses that we're going to try to touch on today. But what do you do personally now? What do you do when your world crashes in all around you? When you wake up and you realize I'm living in the land of Midian or I'm well on my way there. That everything that I knew that I thought was to be true was to be my future, to be my destiny. I had planned my investments. I had planned my retirement. I had planned my career. I had planned my family where everything crashes around you and you've been driven into the abyss of obscurity and you have no idea what your next day is going to look like. See, that's what was going on here. 
This isn't Moses with the power staff of God at the Red Sea. This isn't Moses carrying the Ten Commandments. This is Moses, a man who has just lost his identity. And now he's running through a wilderness to rediscover what his future is going to look like. And all that he knew was behind him. And all that was in front of him was going to be a new challenge for him. So I want us to roll through a few principles and thoughts today because I have a feeling many of us have been to Midian or are now in the middle of our Midian. And some of you, you're on the journey. And you came in this morning and you thought, this will be good for me. We'll sing a little. I'll get encouraged a little and I'm going to leave today. But I want you to take a moment and consider Moses because there's lessons to be learned on your escape to Midian. So take your notes out. Let's write a couple of things down. Number one, here's what I want you to write in. The desert can feel overwhelming and hopeless. The desert is a place in our lives. It's a place in our world that just absolutely swallows us up, and it feels overwhelming and hopeless. Now, some of you, you love science and school and education, and so you paid attention maybe a little more than I did at times when I was in school. But some of the statistics that we learned, and let's see how good we are with this. If you remember our total world mass, does anybody know how much of the world is covered by land? Percentage, roughly. About 30%, 33%. So, uh, sorry, 29%. Did you say 29? 25, 29%. 71% of the world's mass is covered by water. 29% is land mass. It's the next statistic. It's of the 29% of our world land mass, 33% is actually covered with desert. We don't have a lot of ground to live on. We know that living in Mississauga, don't we? We're like next door to each other. So I want you to get a feel for sort of the scope and the breadth of this world we live in. Here's a picture that identifies regions of desert. Now, this is the Sahara Desert. This is amazing. And you look how it sweeps from northern Africa all the way across to the upper right there, and you begin to understand something about deserts. Deserts are defined as those regions in the world that receive less than 250 milliliters or millimeters or 10 inches of rain, approximately 10 inches of rain on an annual basis. So of the land that we have in this world, one-third is covered by desert, and it's defined receiving less than 10 inches. A comparative for us, to help you a little bit, in Mississauga, we receive 750 to 790 millimeters of rain every year. That's about three times the desert region. And Vancouver receives almost 1,200 millimeters a year, which means you should only be Noah if you're moving to Vancouver. I've now picked on Vancouver and Winnipeg. I have very few future options in Canada. But the desert can also be a place of extreme beauty. Here's a picture I want you to see. A photographer captured this shot and just reminds us that even in the most barren, broken, and stark environments, beauty can emerge. What is a desert? So that we know physically, if we were to interpret a desert, it means a place where there is the extreme limitation of the life-giving resource of water. But I would also suggest to you that for our purposes today, a desert is a place in our world, a place in my life where there is the scarcity of the life-sustaining resources, the freshness and the presence of the Spirit of God, the emotional support and encouragement of those who love us and those we love. The desert places 
are not just literal, they're also figurative places in our life experience. And here's exactly where we found Moses. Moses has been forced to trek across a desert. This wasn't a weekend getaway. This is one of the most hostile, demanding, life-threatening environments on the face of our planet that he had to endure. Did you realize that he couldn't board a plane and fly there? He couldn't get on a train and travel there. This was traveling if you were fortunate to have a four-legged creature to carry you, but most often you're walking. That means you're measuring carefully, daily, knowing that a miscalculation of your destination, you miss the water hole, you jeopardize your life. So each day of the trek over three months, Moses is factoring, where is my next stop? Where is the water? Where is the life support going to come from for me? Day after day after day, putting distance between him and Pharaoh, between him and Pharaoh's army, moving towards a land that he absolutely had no interest in dwelling in. And it's not just that the watering holes become a place of refuge, because even at a point of refuge, they become a place of challenge. Because caravan traders and merchants travel through the same region, and those watering holes become public sites where everybody moves in. And how many know that when you move a crowd of people into one place, you raise up the unsavory population of the world as well? The bandits, the thieves, and the robbers start to look for the isolated, the individual, those that are stragglers, those that are weak, and they pick them off and they will murder them for the few meager belongings or a couple of coins in their pocket. Moses is traveling by himself. He is a prime target. And for three months, for three months, he makes his trek across the desert and his escape to Midian. Every day he wakes up wondering, am I far enough away? Have I distanced myself where I can finally feel that I don't need to look over my shoulder? I don't need to go into the marketplace and wonder if somebody is going to spot me and recognize me, that maybe this is the day where I can finally rest. So look in your Bibles or your notes at Exodus 2.15. It said when Pharaoh heard of this, of course, the murder of the Egyptian... He tried to kill Moses, but it's these words that my eyes fell upon and I rested at for a while. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian. Just let your eyes sit on those four words, to live in Midian, well beyond the reach of Pharaoh. This is not Hawaii or California or Florida. This is not Paris or London or Amsterdam or any of the huge urban centers that we would easily fly to. These are not the beaches of Thailand, Australia, or Fiji. This is Midian. This is a sun-scorched, barren, rocky, desolate, bleak place to live. It could well have been the perfect setting for a movie for the surface of Mars. And so to further the description, not only do we read that he went to live in Midian, but I love this. There's an an honesty. The Bible always gives such an honesty. It says he reaches the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now we read that and you probably have read like I've read and I just go past it. But I backed up and I, I paused for a little bit because that spoke to me about the condition of this man. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's angry. He's probably frustrated at his future. And when he finally reaches Midian, the most remote, desolate place he could possibly think of, why would Pharaoh ever pursue me to this part of the world? The Bible says he just kind of plunks himself down in the dust. And in my mind's eye, I can picture this. This man's exhausted, sitting by the well, mouth parched and dry. 
the hot desert wind whipping around, tugging at the cloak that protects him from the sun-scorching heat. And in that moment, you get this picture of the most broken man you can imagine. He's lost it all. His world, as he knew it, is over. And this was the last place that Moses could envision himself living in what should be the prime years of his life. And I think there's one question, one question that we've asked, and I think Moses asked it. How did I ever end up here? How? See, that's what Midian is. Midian is that desert place in your life where you stop and your head is in your hands and you go, how did I ever end up here? And you go, Doug, really? Seriously? I think if there was a moment where we could just open up and reveal our souls in honest transparency to one another, I think there are a lot of Midian stories here. I think there are single moms and every day you're making tough decisions. And some of us don't even realize how hard they are. You're trying to decide, do I buy a few more groceries or do I pay the electrical bill this month? And when you go to bed at night and you lay your head on the pillow and you stare up into the dark and those hot tears roll down your face, that question's there. How did I end up here? This isn't what I dreamed in my childhood. This isn't what I purposed for my kids. It's the question of the business owner, the entrepreneur who says, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to build my future. I'm going to build a company that people can be proud of. And you've stretched yourself and you're living on the line of credit. You've got a growing inventory, a growing list of receivables. You've got challenges with your employees. You've got the demands of uh, federal regulations, provincial regulations. And at the end of the day, when everybody else closes their doors and they go home, you drop your head on your desk and you ask yourself, God, how did I ever end up here? This is not what I dreamed. There are countless marriages in this room and for some of you watching online today. And every night you go to bed or every night you sit in the quietness of your home and your spouse is in a different part of the house and that question is your Midian. How did I end up here? The arguments and the lies and the cheating and the deceit and you put the facade on and you carry on for your kids and you go to church and it looks good for the people in the room. But you know in the quiet recesses of your heart, your wilderness trek, you are well on your way to Midian and you had no idea how you ever got there. And you're not sure what your future is going to look like. Some of you, you immigrated to this great land of opportunity. You came over, your eyes were filled with anticipation, your mind and heart filled with excitement until you realized that education isn't going to earn you the right to pursue that career. You're pumping gas, you're working at a grocery store, you're in a convenience store, you're making a pittance compared to what you used to make. But you're doing it because you believe there's a better future, but today, it's still not that better future. And this is your Midian and you're in the middle of that. We all have our Midians, all of us. Could be money, could be health, could be our, uh, any myriad of a number of things, but this is what the desert does to us. And we're like Moses. We drop to the ground and we kick our feet in the dust and we wonder, how, God, how did I ever get here? You see, Midian is the desert place in our life. It's the place where we hang our heads down, we scuff our feet in the residue of our broken humanity, and we dwell on that one lingering question, how did I? How did I ever end up here? And right now you're thinking, 
Doug, I hope you have an answer. And I am too. And that's why we go back to Moses. So here's the second thing I want you to write in your notes today. See, the desert is also the place that provides opportunity for clarity. In the midst of the overwhelmingness and the challenge that comes with the desert, the desert is also the place that provides opportunity for clarity. A couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to go riding with some friends And one of the areas that we rode our Harleys through was the desert of Southern California. I know you're feeling bad for me right now with the snow and the ice and all, and I appreciate the prayers. But uh, during the day, you can see the sort of the rawness of the desert, and you go through areas of that extreme, dry, barren wilderness. But there's a beauty to the desert that's often overlooked. Here's a picture I want you to see. It's when you're in the middle of a place that is often bleak and barren, if you hit it at the right moment, you can see something that's absolutely stunning. Now, no, we didn't wake up to this. This is a photo that we were able to acquire, but it reminded us of a place that we were and the clarity of the night and the absence of pollution and light pollution that takes away from the wonderfulness. And so I I raise this principle because this is what Moses is about to learn. That even though deserts can feel overwhelming and hopeless, they're also places that can provide unbelievable clarity as to what's going to take place next in our life. So let's go back. Let's join this man who's in the dust. Now envision this for a moment with me. He's here in Midian, tired, worn out, all hope abandoned. He drops down by the well. And here's what I envision. Lost deep in the thoughts of his mind, the only sounds that he hears is his own voice. The sound of bleeding sheep is nearly imperceptible. See, sometimes it's the sound of our voice that drowns every other sound out. And I wonder if maybe for Moses it was this. It's the voice that kept saying, if only I hadn't killed the Egyptian. If only I hadn't intervened with the two Hebrews. If only I hadn't been raised in Pharaoh's court. If only my parents hadn't placed me in a basket on the Nile River. And then the next statement he made is the statement we share with him. If only I hadn't been born. We've all asked it. We've all thought it. It's the very question that comes in the middle of your Midian. It's this moment that we're in such deep desperation. And here's Moses dropped by the well. And it's in this moment we get to see into this man something that gives me hope and encouragement. Clarity comes out of this. Now, we don't know the full specifics of the day. We have eight verses that we're working with. But what we do know is there was something transpiring that captured his attention. Shepherds had come to water their flocks, and they bullied the women away from the well. They pushed the women back out to the far distance. This is a scene that's played out thousands of times over the centuries. But this time, it got Moses' attention. And he watched with disgust as these coarse, rude bullies, very acceptable within a patriarchal society, but these bullies forced these women out of the way and they began to water their own flocks. And here this man in the land of Midian dealing with his own challenges in life, takes notice of what's taking place. Overcome by a sense of indignation, something stirs deep in his spirit. This is intolerable. 
I can't stand for this. These women have value, they have worth, they have dignity. And these men are disrespecting and abusing them. Somebody needs to step up and do something about this. All of us would feel that way, right? Somebody needs to, and Moses is watching this play out. And then something happens that we all do. I think there was a little conversation that took place in his mind. Have you ever talked to yourself in your mind? Yes, you have. You just did it because I asked you a question. You go, no, no, I've never done that. But you never said it out loud. We do. We, we, we have conversations with ourselves in our minds. So I, I just want a little conjecture here. It would be fascinating to know maybe what Moses was thinking in this particular moment right here. So this is not from the Bible. This is just my thoughts on the moment here. But I, I imagine it played out something like this. Moses is sitting in the ground, kicking the dust with his feet by the well. He sees everything that's going on. He feels a sense of enragement and justice that's taking place. And the first voice that we have in our heads said probably this, don't do it. Don't get up. Don't interfere. This is not your problem. Mind your own business. Keep your eyes to the ground. But knowing that we're good people and we want the best for people, there's another voice that we have in our heads, don't we? It's this voice. No, I need to do something. What these men are doing is wrong. I can't just sit here and watch this play out. And immediately the other voice comes right back. Don't do it. Did you forget what happened when you tried to help the two Hebrews? Have you forgotten what you did when you killed the Egyptian? Don't you know why you're in Midian right now? See, we have these conversations, don't we? And Moses is probably thinking to himself, I'm going crazy. And then the other voice kicks back in and says, no. You can't just sit here and do nothing. You can't watch an act of injustice and not respond. You need to do something. Get up. And the Bible says that he got up to his feet and he acted. Watch this in your notes. Acts 2 verse 17. Some shepherds came along and drove the women away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and he watered their flock. Okay, well, time out. Have you thought carefully about this before? How did one man... Scare off a band of shepherds. You ever think about that? One man. How did he scare off a band of shepherds? Now, most of us, we just read this and we move right along. This bothered me because this is a man who's on a flight away from Egypt. He's escaping to Egypt. Actually, the girls give us the insight into it. It wasn't with the power of his staff. This wasn't Moses at the Red Sea. This isn't the guy who stand up. With the power of the Lord on my side, with the staff in my hand, I dare you to take a hand on those women. He didn't have a staff. He didn't have Ten Commandments handed down. This is Moses in a broken state. The women went to their dad, and they said, Dad, an Egyptian. Whoa, that's interesting. The marks of his past, God leverages to be the strength for his future. The wanderings of his past, God brought together in a way that he could leverage to become a strength, an opportunity, and he brought clarity. Those shepherds, when they saw Moses rise to his feet, they saw the external images of an Egyptian. They they saw the sign that marked them as an Egyptian, and they immediately thought, we lay a hand on him, and we bring Pharaoh's wrath upon our heads. See, some of us forget. We try to forget our brokenness. We try to forget the woundedness. We try to forget our past. But listen, what brought you to your Midian may have been a series of mistakes and unfortunate circumstances. 
But God has the ability to take all of our brokenness, leverage it and bring it into our present. And he goes, let me give you a moment of clarity. You don't need to run from your past. You just need to own your past and allow God to work through you. Are you following with us today? So some of you, you've beat yourself up. You've let the enemy lie to you. You let him taunt you with the mistakes and the embarrassment and the ridicule and everything that you've done wrong in your past. So you're trying to run to your midian hoping you can start all over again. And God goes, hey, how about I just take all of that and let's just throw it in the enemy's face and let me make you stronger than you ever knew possible. And Moses didn't even realize what God was going to do with this. So here is his past fully displayed in front of these shepherds. And they take off, fearing for their lives. And Moses does what he does best. He begins to serve into these ladies' lives. And not only does he give them water, but he gives water to their sheep and their flocks. And this powerful moment, God begins to foreshadow, Moses, you're going to be a rescuer in what you just did right here. This is just a real small sample of what you're going to do. Friends, every one of us in our Midian moments in the wilderness and desert part of our lives, we have opportunity for such great clarity if we will give God permission to work. All right, let's go to number three real quickly here. The desert. The desert is the place where God remembers us. When you think about Midian and all that's taking place, Moses slumped down by the side of the well. The women now rescued he probably went right back to the well, dusted off his hands, and that boy, that was fun. He also probably thought to himself, great, I've just revealed my identity to a band of shepherds. Word is definitely going to get back to Pharaoh. So in his mind, he probably has just risked the one place that he thought he was going to be safe at. But I love the humor of the Bible and how it all unfolds, because the Bible says that the ladies went back home, and they got home early. And when they got home early, dad was shocked that his daughters arrived early from watering their flocks. And he was curious as to how this was going to happen. And so if you look in your notes, it's in Exodus chapter 2, verse 20. They began to describe that this Egyptian rescued him. And here's what it says in verse 20. And the father said to the daughters, and where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Middle Eastern hospitality. Why didn't you bring him back home with you? See, they were so excited. They were caught up in the, this had never happened to them before. They would go water their flocks. They'd get pushed away. They were late in the day. They'd water their flocks. They'd go home late. So the very first time the stranger rescues them, the strange Egyptian man, they, of course, caught up in the excitement of it. They race back home, and dad's totally shocked. Hey, what are you doing home early? Isn't that a great way to get home, by the way? Have your family going, what are you guys doing home so early? Well, thank you for loving me. But anyhow, he goes, why are you here so early? And they explain this, this whole entire story. And here's what's so great. It's Ruel, who is also Jethro. In case you're wondering in the Bible, the two names, they're interchangeable here. Ruel or Jethro. Jethro says to his girls, go get him and bring him for dinner. If you're a man and you're not married, listen carefully. He goes for dinner and he gets a wife. This is amazing. We don't need online dating. We just need more shepherds and water wells. Jethro says, go get him and bring him home. And he brings him home and he has a meal with him and he invites him in. And what that means is he's invited into the family to stay with the family. And eventually he has Zipporah is given to him as his wife. They have a son together, Gershom, and he names his son. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. He begins to live within the reality of his new situation, it will define his next 40 years. But even better than that, he begins to discover in his desert place that God remembers me. God remembers me. 
And when God started to pour his favor out on Moses, he said, Moses, what you did back in Egypt, you were trying to do in your own power and your own might, but what you're trying to do now, I'm going to do it through my power and I'm going to do it through my might. It's going to be me raising you up that's going to make the difference. And the 40 years in the wilderness is going to become his training ground. And he's not only going to have a wife and a partner in life, he's going to have a father-in-law. Jethro will become a coach and a mentor and an incredible guide who's going to pour his wisdom into the soul of this man to prepare him to be able to navigate a wilderness with an entire community of Hebrew people. And God is going to encounter Moses in the wilderness. Friends, God always meets us in our Midians. God always meets us in our Midians. You know what I love about the desert? If you hit it at just the right time, there is latent potential And when you pour water on a desert floor, it bursts into life. I told you I was riding down in Southern California a couple of weeks ago. Not since 1999 have they had the amount of rain that they've had in these recent months. Have a look at these pictures. This is what happens when the desert receives the blessing of new rains. It explodes in life. We rode through dirt sand, barrenness, and then all of a sudden, the desert blooms into this wonderful picture of life. Friends, some of you are at Midian today. You're at Midian. You're in your wilderness journey. You have no idea what your future looks like. You've dropped to your knees, your head in your hands. You're going, how did I ever end up here? You didn't get there alone. God is with you. God is with you. He says he'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. And when you allow God to take the brokenness of your past and to pour his favor upon it, he brings new life. And he brings opportunity. Well, we're going to get into all of this in the weeks to come. But I just needed to speak to us today about our Midians because I don't want you to stay in the broken state. I want you to rise to your feet and discover there is new opportunity, there is new clarity when I trust God with my life. The Bible says that when we are new creations in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Friends, that's what this gift of life is. We had a new purpose, a new opportunity. We don't need to run from our past. We get to own it and then allow God to use it. Amen? So I want you to stand with me. We're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning. And to close this part of our service, because I just have a feeling so many of us are either on our exit route towards our Midian or we're in the middle of that journey or we're at our Midian, I want us to collectively hear the words of the psalmist who knew what it was to live in these desert places. And we're going to read this corporately. So I want you to read it with me together. And these are the words that are found in Psalm 63. And as we read these words, for those of you, you're right there. You're right there. You know what Midian looks like. Own this. So let's read together. Follow and read. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. 
with singing, my mouth will praise you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that blessing and truth would be upon us today that you would do what you've promised in your word, that no matter where we are in our Midian journey, we would not look down and remain in despair and lostness, but we would rise from the dust, strong, secure, confident that, God, you are forever with us. You are our God, and forever we will praise you. Amen.